Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as our kids head back to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to 1 John chapter 4 as we continue our series in 1 John. And we're getting closer to the end. This morning we're going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And this morning we're going to talk really about, about love, and that's been a constant theme throughout John's uh, letter. And in fact, I think this is the third time in, in just these early verses of, of chapter 4 that, that we'll be talking about what it means to love. So, so three times in, in not quite a full four chapters, what, what I think we see there is that John is trying to drill something into our skulls. And that is that as followers of Christ, love matters. We, we are called to be people of love. Now, our world has a lot of things to say about love, right? So uh, according to the Beatles, love is all you need, right? That, that's, that's what they told us, um, which uh, as, as maybe you found out early on in marriage, you can have all the love in the world, but love doesn't pay the bills, right? That's, I mean, you, you, could, you love one another to the moon and back, as, we, as we're fond of saying, and the power might still get shut off, right? Because uh, so, so love might not be all you need, but... Uh, when some kids were asked what their descriptions of love were, this is what some of them said. Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, said, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Um, I do the same when I take coffee to Michelle. I take a sip. That's just because I have an addiction to coffee. It's, it's not because I, <laughs> I gave up a long time ago trying to fix her coffee the way that she wants it. Um, and I like this one. Jessica, age seven, said, you, shouldn't, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. I like that. So the, the passage before us this morning, as I said, is the third time that John has used this love test for believers. In other words, he thinks that love is a really, really, really big deal in the life of a believer. So if you will, turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let's stand together as we read aloud the word that the Lord has given to us this morning. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together as your people to open up your word. And we just pray that your spirit will fill the room this morning. Will you show us what it means to love one another the way that you have loved us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. 
So I have three, I, I feel like often, I mean, I, I, I kind of preach with three or four points, two, three, four, something like that, and, and I never feel like I'm trying to blow your mind with points. In fact, if most of the time when I, when I put something in your notes, I really want you to be able to almost fill it in beforehand because we hear it so often. And so every message really comes down to, to one point, and that is that God has loved us, and we want to love him, and we want to love others. So throughout the building, you'll see posters uh, that, that we put up that have uh, 2018 uh, with First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, 120 years. This is our 120th anniversary. We'll be hearing a lot about October 7th, which is the day that we've set aside to kind of celebrate what God has done uh, the last 120 years and looking forward to the next 120 years. Uh, but at the bottom of those, of those posters, pull the passage out of John or a verse out of John 13, which simply says, a new command I give you, love one another. So in our, uh, in our logo, the little shield, that, the shield with the cross that, that we've set as our logo, at the bottom of that, most of the time, you're going to see three words. You're going to see love, serve, give. Um, as we begin what is my second full year, 2018 will be the second full year that, that I've spent as your pastor. I want us to begin walking through that each of these years. And so we're going to focus this year on what it means to love. And so you'll see, you'll see the love, serve, give in our shield. And then at the bottom, a uh, new command I give you, love one another. I want us to learn or, or to grow deeper in 2018 in what it means to love one another and to love our community. And so you're going to be hearing more uh, as the weeks and months progress about some opportunities for us to uh, love on our community. And how do we do that? By serving selflessly and giving sacrificially. So we'll, we'll, but as, as the year rolls on, we'll talk more about some of those with some opportunities we have to serve with some organizations here in town to show our love for this community that needs it so much. But before we understand what it means to love somebody else, we need to understand where love comes from. And in verses 7 and 8 in 1 John chapter 4, we're told that love is rooted in God. It's rooted in God. He says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God uh, and knows God. The one who does not love God does, or does not love does not know God because God is love. So he said, hey, we're supposed to love one another. And that love that we have comes from God. If you love one another, you're showing that you've been born of God and you know God. If you don't love other people, you don't know God. Could, could he make that any clearer? Love comes from God. If we want to claim to know God and to serve him, we have to respond to people the way he responds to people, which is through love. Uh, now, I have a hobby, uh, and, and that is that, that I like to drink coffee. So I've, I've, I've claimed that as a hobby now, okay, coffee drinking. Um, I know some guys who really like to make coffee, and they'll go full on in espresso. I like, I, I'm perfectly content with somebody else to make it, and I will go and... and get it out of their pot at the, at the coffee shop. But that's a hobby of mine. I like coffee. A big, a big thing when it comes uh, to the world of coffee is what they call single origin coffee. Maybe you've been in Starbucks and you've seen this sign, single origin. I always wondered, what does that mean? Is that just like a fancy term they throw out? No, sing, single origin actually means that all the beans, all the coffee beans in that specific batch came from a single geographic location, in some cases, right down to the very same farm. So they'll harvest beans from this one farm 
package it all together, and, and sell that in either Starbucks or, or in a coffee chain. And they'll claim single origin. All our beans come from one place. Now, in coffee, that's important because when you start mixing beans from different uh, geographic locations, you get, a, you get different tastes. That's why, if, if, you've, if you're familiar at all with coffee beans, uh, coffee from Guatemala will have a little bit different flavor than coffee from Colombia. And, and so, when it comes to consistency of taste, I'll talk about single origin. That way, you're the, um, the nutrients in the soil, the acidity levels in the soil are all the same and produce a, a similar taste in coffee. Man, I should have gotten coffee before I came up here. So, anyway... Um, <laughs> Now, what does all that have to do with what we're talking about this morning? Quite simply, love has a single origin in God. Now, our world is going to claim that that you don't have to know God to really know love. The problem is our culture is extremely confused about the nature of love. Because for most people, when they say, I love you, what they mean is I really like the things that you do for me. And as long as you continue to do those things, I'll continue to do those things back, and we'll claim that we're in a loving relationship. However, if if you ever break what you're doing for me, I'm probably going to break what I'm doing for you. And this is only reciprocal, meaning it's only good as long as we're both satisfied, as long as we're both happy. At the moment I become happy, I want out. This is an epidemic. This is why over half of marriages end in divorce. This is why in our culture now, the millennials, which is my generation, those born from 1980 to 2000, so those who've just, who are just now coming into adulthood on up to about uh, 36 or so, are, are over half of them have almost written marriage off completely. No longer see marriage as an essential part of adulthood. Because we've seen love abused. We don't understand the nature of love anymore. And scripture is going to say to really understand what love is, we need to understand the God who created love. Uh, John Piper said this, and I just loved it. He said, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. Where you can't separate God's love from God himself. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of his character, as John will say just a little bit later on this morning. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So we're really only uh, able to love completely and fully when we realize who God is. And then John's going to say explicitly that if we don't love, we don't Know God in in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, really quickly, our culture, I think, has twisted this. And so again, if you know, if you run into somebody who knows nothing else of the Bible, they'll they'll know two phrases out of the Bible: do not judge, and God is love. Right? I mean, maybe they've, they've never seen a Bible. They don't know anything else. But, oh, I, I know the Bible says, do not judge. And, that's, and, and it says that God is love. And what they really mean sometimes when they say God is love is that is, they really mean to twist those words around and, and say that love is God. So, in other words, all I've got to do to be a good person is love. 
That, that's, that's it, really. I've just got to love my neighbor, and, and that's, that's all we're ever expected to do as human beings. Now, there's a shade of truth in that, right? And then as people, we, sh- we are called to have compassion. We are called to love one another. We're explicitly told that a number of places in Scripture. But apart from God, you can't do that. And this doesn't mean that love is God. Meaning that whomever or whatever I decide to love is pure and good on its own. Because love is rooted in God's character, which means if we want to understand the nature of love, we have to understand the nature of God. All right, so what is this nature of the love that's rooted in God? I'm so glad you asked. You asked really good questions, by the way. We see this in Jesus because God's love is revealed in Jesus most clearly. The writer of Hebrews will tell us that in the past, God spoke through uh, the prophets. And he says at various times and in various ways. In other words, God revealed a little bit of himself here and he revealed a little bit of himself there. But then he says, but now in Christ Jesus, we have this full picture of who God is. So if we want to understand anything about God's nature, we have to look to Jesus. And this is certainly true when it comes to understanding God's love for us. It's revealed for us in Jesus. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You want to know what God's love is like? Look at Jesus. Because the Bible's going to say, well, we were powerless to love God. In Jesus, God showed us his love because he sent his son. Back in verse 10, God, or John says, it's, love consists in this, not that we loved God because we were totally incapable of that. We didn't even know how to begin. Romans 3 says, none's righteous, no, not one. And so because we were unable to love God on our own, God loved us by sending his son to us. Charles Spurgeon, who you hear me quote a lot because I have a Spurgeon study Bible, so every time I use this, I I have Spurgeon's words at the bottom, but but just one of the most phenomenal preachers, really preachers that that Christianity has seen uh, in the last 500 years. Spurgeon said this. He said, it's the great marvel that will ever be that he who is God over all stooped so low as this. He said, I can understand his stooping to poverty and becoming a carpenter. I can understand his stooping to hunger and thirst. I can even understand his stooping to death. But that he should bear our sins. Excuse me. <coughs> says, but that he should bear our sins. This is the greatest stoop of all. How must the Lord Jesus have loved us that he did not disdain to bear even the enormous burden of our sins? Of course, we're told this in John 3.16, the the verse that every child learns in vacation Bible school. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In verse 10, John uses this this phrase in the Christian Standard Bible, atoning sacrifice. If you have the King James Version or the English Standard Version, maybe yours says propitiation, big, long, 
25-point theological word. That simply means that Christ took our place. Atoning sacrifice means, means I owed a debt that I couldn't pay, and Christ stepped in and paid that debt for me. He took our sin upon himself and died the death that we, res- that we deserved. In return, we get his righteousness and eternal life. Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm sinful, Christ is righteous, I'm separated from God, God wanted to restore us to himself. So he sent Christ to take our sin upon himself, so that in turn we might get his Righteousness. I've said this before. If you're familiar with the movie Dances with Wolves, this is a good trade. Good trade. And so then, in response, we love others in response to God's love. We love others in response to God's love. We see this in verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. So we've we've seen that love is rooted in God. That God's love is ultimately and finally revealed in Jesus, but we can't stop there. We're called to respond to others in God's love. And I think this is where so many of us drop the ball, because we want to understand that love comes from God. And maybe we even understand that God's love is shown to us most clearly through Christ Jesus. I don't, I don't think anybody in, in this room would argue with that. The problem comes when we have to turn around and love other people. Why? Because other people sometimes are unlovable. And do you know why it's hard to love other people? Because sometimes you're hard to love as well. I've used this quote before. I'm going to continue to use it as long as I'm here because I think it's great. Uh, A guy by the name of Kenneth Boa said, There's no act of loving God that does not have as its end the love of neighbor. We have not fully realized, fully come to grasp the love of God until that flows out of us to loving others. You haven't really experienced the love of God until it changes the way you relate to somebody else. One of the clearest commands that Jesus has given is John 13, 34. This is what you'll see on the posters all around the building. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We can't get by just coming in here and hearing the gospel proclaimed. And hearing the love of God proclaimed and and walking out and saying, you know, I think that I've grasped that. I I think that I've think that I've got it. Good, good message, preacher. On to lunch I go. Going to live my life the same way The the Bible would say we can't do that. Unless God's love changes us and changes the way we interact with one another, we've not understood God's love. Jesus closely attached love for others to our love for God. Matthew 22, 37-39 in the, the great command as it's been called. 
Remember the context here. We, I know I use this a lot, particularly when we're talking about love, because this is important. In, in this context, uh, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus, and, and they're trying to trap him to see if they can get him to, to say something so they can arrest him or even kill him and have some sort of justification for doing it because Jesus is disrupting their way of life. And sometimes when you disrupt the life of the religious, you bear the full brunt of their wrath. So Jesus is disrupting the, the things that have been taught. So teacher comes to him and says, Teacher, uh, we want to know what's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Take the entire Old Testament, take the law and the prophets, and, and we want to know of everything that, that God commanded in the Old Testament, what's, what's the most important thing? Maybe it's don't kill, right? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of important. It seems like that would be important for someone who wants to follow God. We shouldn't go around killing other people. Don't commit adultery. That, that, seems, that seems pretty important. Don't steal. What, what's the most important? Jesus goes not to Exodus 20, to the Ten Commandments, but to Deuteronomy 6. Something that, by the way, every Jewish boy and girl would have had memorized, would have recited every day. And so I kind of see Jesus' response here as, as you, you ought to know this. You recite this every single morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love God with everything you are. That's the most important. But wait, before you leave, there's something else. There's a second command that's like the first. In fact, you can't separate the two. So you want to know what the greatest command is. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God. But 1B is love your neighbor as yourself. You know what I think a lot of our problem is when it comes to loving other people? Is we don't know how to love ourselves. We don't know how to love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if I hate myself, that might lead me to hate my neighbors, right? So how do I come to love myself? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Come to understand the way God sees you. The way God loves you, the lengths and the depths of the love of God, how far he went to show us his love and that he did not spare his own son. Just as we saw in John 3.16, God loved the world in this way. I know that's a different translation than most of us have heard, but I love the way the Christian standard puts that. This is the illustration of God's love. He loved the world in this way, he sent his one and only son. In John 13, 35, so we just saw 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here's the next verse. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What's the mark of a follower of Christ? What's the mark of a disciple? Love. How many other things do we try to shove in that place? 
How will someone know that I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ? Well, to start with, I should be here every Sunday morning, right? I should be in a small group. Are those bad? No. In fact, in fact if, we, if we do those things right, that should lead us to love one another well. To love one another in this gathering. To love one another in small groups. If I'm a follower of Christ, I ought to, I ought to at least kind of have a decent idea of what this book says, right? Sure. What's the end result of that? Well, as I am in this book, shouldn't it cause me to love God more and to love other people more? Well, if I'm a follower of Christ, clearly I'm going to vote Republican all the time, right? There's no other option, right? Mm. See, I think we've made Christianity out to be, and the marks of a disciple out to be something that it was never meant to be. Because Jesus said, hey, look, look, if you're really my disciple, you're going to love one another. And the world will know that you're my followers. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Not by what party we vote for. Not by how loudly we declare what party we vote for. Not by all the things that we hate. But by how we love. So as we said, you can't completely love until you've come to know God. And you can't come to know God until you've repented of sins and asked Jesus to be your Savior. One of the ways we do that is by keeping his commands. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. One of the the things we want to do is, one of the ways we express our love for God is by our obedience, following him. Being his disciple, being his learner, making our lives look more and more like his life. One of the commands he gives us is to follow through his follow with his example of baptism. There's a reason we as we as Baptists say that's that's step one. Why? Because that's an obedience. It's a command that Christ has given us. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? If I'm a, a disciple, I'm going to be baptized. Not in order to gain salvation, but as an expression of salvation. So maybe, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I haven't taken that first step of obedience, but, but I, I, need to, I need to make that right. We need to get that on the calendar. I'd love to visit with you here in a minute when we just stand to sing. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, I, I'm not sure that I've come to fully understand the love of God. If, if the love of God is revealed most clearly through Christ Jesus, and I can only really come to love God completely when I'm in Christ, when I've been forgiven of sins and, and saved by his blood, that, that's, that's step one for you today. Just come and find out what that looks like. What does it mean to repent of sins, to trust in Christ? So let me ask you this, all right? So we've said that, um, we looked at John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So if the only thing someone else knew about Christ was by looking at how you love those around you, what would they see? What would they come to know about Jesus by the way that you love those around you? 
Maybe this morning, even, even though you're a follower of Christ, even though you know that you're saved and, and, and you know that your, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're securing Christ, maybe this morning you just need to repent of the way that you've been loving people or the way that you've not been loving people. Ask God to change your heart. However the Lord's leading you this morning, you respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to open up your word and to look at the great love that you have for us. I pray for 2013 as we, as a church, focus on loving you and loving others. That before we step outside these walls, you would show us how to love one another inside these walls. To love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are gathered here at First Baptist Church. And that as we come to love one another, that love spills out these doors onto the streets and the neighborhoods around us. So for anyone in here who's, who's struggling with loving other people, I pray this morning you'd break our hearts. Open our eyes anew to the way that you've loved us, the, the lengths and the depths that you went to to show your love for us. When we understand that, I don't think we have a choice but to show that same kind of love and compassion to one another. For those in the room maybe who would, who would say they love you but they've not followed through with, with commands, commands like um, being baptized and, and obedience to your word in some, some area of their life, I pray this morning you would break our hearts and turn our attention to you that out of our love for you, we would obey the things that you've told us to do. Help us to be a church that just as we've said in our purpose statement, we want to love you completely and we want to love others compassionately. Will you show us through your grace and your mercy how to do that day in and day out? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.